Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, The Seventh Guest for PC. Puzzle games are a large and beloved section of gaming, often bringing in players who are not otherwise interested in an industry awash in action titles, blood and guts horror, He-Man woman-hater tropes, or anything else where the corporate focus testers want to draw the attention and money of pubescent boys, or those who still think and act like them. But what about a puzzle game where the focus is on a spooky mansion and fully acted digital scenes overlaying the pre-rendered backgrounds? Let's head back to the PC CD-ROM years as I discuss 1993's The Seventh Guest. The Seventh Guest comes to us from developer Trilobite Games and publisher Virgin Interactive, which used to be a big deal back in the day. Technically, this whole game is an in-house affair as the creators Rob Landeros and Graham Devine, both Virgin employees, who, when they presented the original design pitch for the seventh guest to their bosses, they so impressed said bosses that they were immediately, quote-unquote, fired, so that Virgin could help form Trilobite solely to bring this game to life. Weird, right? Well, that's the nature of massive multinational conglomerates, folks. Break everything up to make it look good on the tax records, so that it looks like we're fostering competition rather than just maximizing profits while dodging antitrust laws. In a moment of irony, Bill Gates, you know, the reason Microsoft runs all of our computer technology when it is not Apple running it, and was once brought before Congress for breaking those very same laws, once said of the seventh guest that it was, quote, the new standard for interactive entertainment, end quote. I bring this up for those of you out there who like to celebrate massive corporate mergers that you will ultimately see no tangible benefit from, and in case you miss it when you see antitrust laws meant to protect consumers being buttfucked in front of you. And if you run your technology off of Linux and are feeling smug, well then, must be fucking nice to not have to worry about things like where your food and shelter come from, or who fucking pays for it down there in your mother's basement. Sorry, the rest of us don't have time to worry about that because we have to work for a living. Not spend all day programming lines of code every five goddamn minutes just so you can backhack pirated online copies of movies just to watch them from region free. But I digress. Development using the technology of the day, meaning CD-ROM, was said to be quote-unquote bloody slow and the blue screen effects used to film actors who appeared in the game a la Night Trap, left a ghostly blue edge around them that when transferred to the game's setting, which the developers simply left in. All in all, not ideal conditions for what the game would become. Worse yet, especially for a puzzle game, the puzzles the developers intended to use were, and I assume still are, all under copyright protection, so they instead used public domain puzzles from the 19th century puzzle books. Hell, there is an even entire second CD that came with the original game that contained the entirety of the music tracks, and you could actually play it in a CD player, provided you skip the first track, which was just the computer code that, when played, would cause one's ears to bleed and break all the glassware in your house. But we do what we must, I suppose. Yet, based both on novelty and the strength of the story and presentation, the seventh guest became a bestseller in its time. So there is a lot to be said for making the best of a bad situation. But what of the story of the game? 
which is often so paramount in puzzle games. The game begins with a flashback to 1935 in a fictional, as far as I can tell, town called Harley on the Hudson. And considering Hudson River runs through upstate New York, I'll wager the setting of this is the state of New York. Anyway, a homeless drifter named Henry Stoff kills a woman in a mugging, but this would hardly be his only vile act. After a series of murders on his part, he has a vision of a doll one night while dreaming, and the next morning carved it. He would trade said doll for food and shelter, and would have visions of other toys and games, all of which he would hand-carve and trade for needful things, eventually securing himself the odd but successful position of toy maker, and made enough money to build a sprawling mansion on the edge of town, again the result of a vision, but many of the children who received his toys would mysteriously sicken and die. Well, when the townsfolk eventually put two and two together and came up with fifteen, they came with pitchforks and torches in hand to Stoff's mansion, intending to deal with the demon toy maker. But what they instead found was an empty mansion and no Stoff. Yet they knew he never actually left the mansion before disappearing. Time passes, and the mansion is abandoned, but the deaths stop. We now embody the character known only as Ego, our first-person insert, who wakens as an amnesiac inside the mansion in an unknown time. It quickly becomes apparent the mansion is haunted, for as Ego progresses trying to figure out who he is and why and how he is here, he encounters the spirits of six guests that were invited to the mansion sometime after the children's deaths began to occur. A former singer, a dissatisfied middle-aged couple in a time when divorce was not only a social but legal not an happening option, an aging bank worker who is obsessed with her youth, a fellow shop owner, and a stage musician. All these people have something to hide, some sort of dark secret that if revealed to the public would ruin them. Yet they were gathered to the mansion by letters and invites from Stoff himself for a night of socializing and puzzle solving for a prize. Yet Stoff is nowhere to be found by this phantom party. Stoff certainly seems to know why he's called these specific individuals to his hell house, but Ego is left to try and piece it all together, usually right before he has to solve another puzzle. Also, these six guests were supposed to bring a seventh, unknown guest, who turns out to be a young boy named Tad, who once they found Stoff's hiding place, they were to bring Tad to him to claim the reward. But the guests are unsure what to do. The couple wants to help Tad escape, but the rest of the guests want to capture him for Stoff and whatever he has offered them. The night turns deadly as the guests eventually turn on one another and begin killing each other, or die in the trap Stoff has attached to his failure for each puzzle, like a 1930s saw. Before I continue, I should warn you about spoilers if you have never played this game, because the big reveal of the story is coming, although you can probably guess some of it. By the end, only Tad and the banker woman, Julia, are alive, and she hopes Stoff can use his powers to make her young again. Stoff, for his part, is hiding in the mansion's attic, and having made a pact with evil some years ago, is looking to evolve into his final demonic form, but needs Tad specifically to sacrifice him to complete this pact. Things go wrong when Stoff reveals what he is to Julia, and Tad is entangled in Stoff's demonic tongue. This is where Ego, our insert, 
realizes that he is Tad's spirit, trapped in the mansion night after night, reliving his his last night alive over and over in a perpetual purgatory, yet somehow he has grown up on death. What he is trying to do is solve the puzzles himself, night after night, attempting to break his own curse, all the while with Stoff taunting him when mistakes are made. Ego can now, with the player's intervention, free himself by causing Tad to escape, and Stoff's spirit is finally consumed by his demonic overlord. Tad thanks Ego, and by extension us, for his help, and can finally leave the mansion after untold time. And Ego steps into the light and disappears. And thus ends the story of the seventh guest. But at its heart, this is a puzzle game with a horror storyline. As I said earlier, the puzzles the developers were originally thinking of using were all under copyright protection, and therefore could not be used. So instead they looked to puzzles and games that had been around forever, and were free by the fact that they were published in the 19th century. Over the course of the game, there are about 20 puzzles to solve, a number of which repeat, but they can be quite clever. There many will be sliding block puzzles. Don't we all love those? The same way we all love herpes. A number of puzzles, at least a few mazes, a couple involving chess pieces, and there is one where a cake must be cut up enough to give the exact same number of pieces for each guest. A clever word puzzle where the only vowel available to the words is the letter Y and uses synonyms. A lights in a model building puzzle, a few word jumbles that require following a specific path to spell out a taunting phrase, and a few others. Perhaps the most infamous puzzle, however, is the blood drop puzzle under a microscope, which was based on an old game called Spot and random numeric luck, and was reset each time you stepped away from it. Now, the good news is that in one room of the mansion, there is an in-game hint book that will help you out with your current puzzle. And if you ask it for a hint three times, it will solve the puzzle for you if you get super stuck. I bring this up because it helped me a lot even though I was following a guide. But even the guide and the online places dedicated to the seventh guest recommended letting the book solve the blood drop puzzle for you, as it was so random and badly programmed, it can halt all progress on the game otherwise. And believe me, if you are anything like me and bad at puzzles, especially the more obscure they get, the last thing you want is to get so stuck you cannot finish the game, especially if you are following the story. In many cases, Interacting with these puzzles will show you how the other mansion guests solved it, and often died miserably at each other's hands or by Stoff's demonic magic. But you can also interact with random objects throughout the mansion to show more of the story. Private moments, funny moments, salacious moments, because, you know, horror media, so somebody's got to fuck in the middle of an abandoned and dangerous place. But if you stand around waiting too long, a white-clad phantom woman, who is never explained as to her presence and was not one of the other guests, will appear and beckon you towards your next goal. All of these characters are shown in super low-res, grainy-as-shit filter of live actors in period costumes pantomiming at each other in front of a blue screen that was then superimposed over static pre-rendered backgrounds. So sometimes we see ghosts interacting with the background and not quite nailing it. But they can likely be forgiven, as it was 1993 and nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. 
they were just going for it. Our trip to Critics Corner today is perhaps one of the weirdest we've seen so far. While outlets like Computer Gaming World, GamePro, and Electronic Gaming Monthly, back when those were relevant, reviewed it and gave it generally good praise for tone and puzzles, except where Computer Gaming World ambassadored the IBM port of the game for being difficult to run and incompatible with the suggested system requirements, again, back when that actually mattered before computers were largely homogenized by interchangeable parts, almost as if some massive multinational corporation had made it so, go figure. Our most bizarre review, however, comes from Dragon Magazine, one of the two official publications tied to the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop game. In a segment called Eye of the Monitor, the reviewer said the seventh guest, quote, suffers from an incurable case of confusion about what it is trying to be. It's either a collection of puzzles encumbered by an unnecessary horror setting and story, or it's a horror story and setting encumbered by an unnecessary collection of puzzles, end quote. Hmm, scathing. But before we go further, may I just ask the following equally scathing question? Why in the hot holy fuck is a Dungeons & Dragons magazine that reviewed supplements for tabletop gaming under its own license bothering to review computer games? Where did that nerve come from? It would be like, oh, I don't know, something like Entertainment Weekly reviewing games. I'll let y'all look that one up, dear listeners. But overall, the seventh guest still sold outrageously for its time, despite issues with the hardware compatibility back when what exact type of computer you had mattered. And by 1998, it had earned $40 million in revenue in the U.S. The seventh guest, in combination with fellow pre-rendered puzzle game Myst, proved to be the quote-unquote killer app that drove CD-ROM sales way past expectations and did well enough to warrant a sequel titled The Eleventh Hour, which I know exists, but I personally did not play. For myself, I was weirdly obsessed with this game back in 1993. I bought the strategy guide for it long before I ever bought the game, and I poured over the story, the hill with the puzzles. I don't even know why I did this. I certainly didn't have a background story by any means, or as anything groundbreaking which could mostly be summed up with evil murderous toy maker wants to spend eternity licking Satan's asshole for momentary power on Earth as the plot, which, if I'm correct, was the standard plot for every movie ever made by direct-to-video schlock champions Full Moon Entertainment. But for me, it was just not something I'd ever encountered before, and it got my attention and would not let go. Even when I played the game, I blazed through the puzzles as fast as I could, even ignoring the solutions in the guide, just to get more plot. I love to solve mazes, and I did a lot of word search puzzles with my grandmother back in the day, but I am hardly a master of puzzles, and I don't enjoy them. Sue me, I guess, for not being smart enough. But there was just something about this particular game that was strong enough to get me, a kid who didn't care about puzzle games, to try it out. Maybe it was the setting, or the mood or the semi-safe darkness of the surrounding of the plot of the horror mansion full of mystery. I don't really know. 
Maybe that Dragon Magazine review was more right than I thought. Whatever it may be. The seventh guest became another in my personal pantheon of games that were just as mysterious and stand out among the collection of games I normally played as something like Sim City. It was just so not me, but I still had to play it. And there is no doubt that The Seventh Guest is a horror story. It is a classic ghost story, with just a bit of a cheap back of the bookstore shelf plot to keep it going. Not as foundational as a Poe story, not as adaptable or saleable as a modern market as a King story, but it is an adaptation of the haunted house for the digital age with pomp and spectacle. In the period before when games like Resident Evil or Silent Hill were considered the standard, but after badly licensed games like Friday the 13th or A Nightmare on Elm Street had tried to be a cheap cash-in on the 80s slasher fiction in the digital space. And I think that alone was what made it stand out. Were the puzzles truly necessary? Well, that I don't know. As I said at the beginning of this episode, the puzzle game genre is huge and has more players than I think we realize. It can, and it has, made gamers out of more people than the gamers TM would like to be willing to admit. Enough that we see puzzles, even simple ones, pervading other genres of video game. But really, the idea of games did not just stay as big muscle movement sports. They became intellectual, or luck-based, or creative. And they are very much part of what makes us human what we retain as the desire and the need to play with well into adulthood and old age. Games like food or water or shelter are necessary, and puzzles in whatever form are, are a big part of that. Does that mean I'm going to jump on Steam tomorrow and begin downloading every puzzle game on the site? That, I admit, is unlikely. I have said I am bad at puzzles, but that doesn't mean they should not exist. But that also does not mean there aren't a few more puzzle games out there that have drawn my attention as mysteriously as the seventh guest did way back then. It is likely because they too retain the horror element, that morbid fascination of the uncanny, that mixed with a puzzle looked like something I would try my hand at, even though it is not my best genre. But like any other first you may encounter in life, the Seventh Guest remains my first horror puzzle game. Others may chase that high, but none will ever truly attain it. They don't even stand a ghost of a chance. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves would like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, Orden Wells, and Mass Lama for being part of the patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves Podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.